Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate. So, hidden in the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago is a lab, and in that lab is a freezer filled with poop. Alright, you want to see the poop lab? Yes! Where the magic happens? Yes! Alright! What can we learn from studying all this animal poop? Well, let's find out. Now let me show you the freezer, because the freezer is one of the coolest things we have, okay? So in this freezer alone, we have samples from black rhinos, pygmy hippos, red river hogs, octopus. Snow leopard. Mm-hmm. Lots of snow leopard poop. Yeah. Japanese soloris. Mm-hmm. Pygmy soloris, yep. Diana monkey, pied tamarind, and polar bear. <sighs> Pretty cool, huh? I think we've studied over 120 species in our lab. I'm not going to doubt that. <laughs> this is my guest today, Rachel. Dr. Rachel Santemeyer, and I work here at the Lincoln Park Zoo, and I was hired to start the endocrinology program, which is just the study of hormones, and these are hormones that have to do with reproduction and stress. So I've heard that you have a nickname, which is... They call me Dr. Poop. And why do people refer to you as Dr. Poop? (laughs) Well, because I don't want to disturb the animals when I study them. And so I have the the animal care staff pick up samples for me, fecal samples, poop, um, because we can actually get hormones from feces. And so the animals don't even know that I'm studying what goes on inside their body or how they react to certain things. So it's, it's kind of a secret job. It's a detective, really. Poop detective. So, how did you get this job as the poop person? As Dr. Poop at the zoo? Yes. Well, you know, I loved animals growing up. I had horses and dogs and cats, and I thought, you know, I should become a veterinarian. And I took a lot of school, I had interviews, and I actually didn't get into vet school. And so I sort of panicked until the scientist from the National Zoo, the Smithsonian, said that he was an animal scientist and he learned about cows and horses like I did, but he was applying everything he learned to endangered species like cheetahs and clad leopards. And so Mm. once I found out all the skills I learned at school, I could be applying to endangered species conservation. I found jobs in zoos as quickly as possible. And I heard, did you predict that the female rhino kapuki, I think it was, was going to give birth? I did, yes. We were the first ones to know that she was pregnant. We were super excited by that. So, what is your favorite animal to collect fecal matter from? Well, I have collected some samples that are pretty stinky. I have to tell you, I had people leave the fecal lab because I was processing samples from a fishing cat. So I don't know if you have ever had a cat or smelled cat poo, but cat poo is pretty stinky. I mean, they're carnivores, right? They're true carnivores. And so fishing cats... It is stinky when they do not bury it. Yeah, exactly. And when so, they bury it, I'm fine with picking it up. Like, well, not with my hands, with the scoop. <laughs> and then putting never. it in the garbage. 
<laughs> so you have cats at home? You scoop little I boxes? I don't. Oh. I just scoop it for friends. Oh, you are, yes, you are that excited about poop. You're like, <laughs> yes. I can see you're going to become the next future Dr. Poop, right? But, yeah. Yeah, I, so that was the fishing cat. They're a small cat from Southeast Asia. They dive into the water and they eat fish and mollusks. So you know how stinky okay. cat poop is anyway. Just imagine yeah. if they ate fish only. I was at the Shedd Aquarium earlier today, uh-huh. and I smelled fish smells, so combine that with cat yeah. People would leave. They would leave even though they knew it was the fecal lab, and they were prepared to deal with feces, yeah. But the other one I find pretty interesting is um, giant panda poop. Smells huh. kind of like tea because of the bamboo that they eat. It's really kind of unusual. doesn't smell as bad. I bet it's just still gross that... You're like, oh, that must be tea. What have I <laughs> no, done? Yeah, no, it definitely does not look like tea. It smells, it smells better, though, than uh, fish and cat. I bet. <laughs> but I think here, the stinkiest poo that we have to deal with is the polar bear. Yeah, that's another stinky one. People, yeah, so, you know, there's a door between our office and the labs, and so people kind of have to close that door because it just kind of creeps into the building, and, you know, these folks aren't really here to smell polar bear poo so <laughs> so what does it smell like i'm curious now it smells also fishy you know and just i bet carnivore, oh, yeah, carnivore so poop. much fish yeah yeah and the, we work with some species like the black rhinos and they're solitary animals so they actually communicate with feces they have chemicals maybe pheromones in their feces and it tells others what's going on inside their body and that's how they communicate. So their feces are pretty stinky too. Okay. <laughs> Processing all the poop. All right, got it. <laughs> so um, how do you know what they've been eating? Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes you can actually see it if they're eating seeds. So one of the challenges of working at the zoo and being Dr. Poop is when the animals live together, right? Like how do I know that fecal matter came from that individual we've actually had to give them feed them certain things with seeds like bird seed um, that like our wild dogs our African painted dogs you feed them bird seed in their food and they poop out the bird seed so we feed just a special treat to one individual to get them to eat that one and then they poop out the bird seed so we know that sample came from them and then another trick is we give them food coloring so we give them a treat with blue food coloring and their poop turns green so we can identify it that way. So we find like there's a way to mark feces because it shows up in their feces. But you can also use other chemicals, they call them stable isotopes, like nitrogen and carbon to see what kind of quality of food they're eating too. So those are other things you can learn from feces and what they're eating besides just seeing it in the feces. So what tools do you use to analyze the stuff that they have digested? Yeah, so I use um, the feces to study these chemicals called hormones. And I can tell, like, when the rhino got pregnant, we were the first ones to know that she was pregnant because of her hormones. And so we'll weigh out the feces, just like little scoop, you know, like the slurpy scoops that you get. <laughs> we have some scientific ones, of course. And we scoop and we'll weigh out the feces. And then we add chemicals to it, like uh, alcohol. 
and we'll mix it. So we have these big shakers that shake the test tubes full of feces, and, and yeah, you can come to so the lab and see it. So basically, I'm imagining you with a test tube full of poop, happily shaking it. Yeah, we've tried that for our field stuff. So if we're going to do anything in Africa and we don't have a lot of electricity, you can definitely put it into a test tube, cap it, and shake it. Or we have what I call a special test tube blender. It's called a homogenizer. It has a technical term. But it literally blends it in one sample at a time in a test tube. And then sometimes we will dry it. We'll freeze dry it. I don't know if you ever had, like, bananas or anything, freeze-dried fruit. Well, we have one of those things just for feces, not for you to do banana chips. But we will uh, freeze-dry it, and then we use a rubber mallet to crush it into a fine powder. So we use some of these technical things. But we also have pipetters. Um, that we can use to quantify or, or measure the amount of hormones in the samples. So, like, why do you need the poop? Why can't you analyze something else? Ah, that's a great question. So, if the doctor was going to look at our hormone levels, they would probably take blood from us, right? And I don't know about you, but taking blood can be stressful. For somebody like me, I kind of just faint. So I'm like, you just, I had to say, you just have to lay me down, right, before you even try to take my blood. But, you know, with our animals, even though they're well-trained, we can't always get blood samples from them. So we use feces. Oh, so what you're saying is doctors should just keep us in a secluded room until we go poop. And then they can use that. They could, but it requires more processing so with humans they probably want to do something that's quicker which is blood which they have already validated meaning they already know what normal levels are we don't necessarily know that for our animals so sometimes we have to study an individual kind of over the time like during maybe a stressful time so before we start construction if we think that might impact the animals during construction and after really to see how their levels change So we also, besides feces, we can use feathers and hair and toenails to look at hormone levels. So it's it's cool. Oh, yeah, but not all the animals here have any of those. That's true. And so what we did for amphibians, which they are sort of one of my nemesis because they're elusive poopers or they don't poop very often. And so how can I study their hormones if I can't get blood from them? So I actually will use a special scientific q-tip and swab their backs their skins to actually get hormones from them so we can figure out if a frog is stressed simply by doing a swab how do you know if the construction's bothering the animals and what do you do if it is yeah so one of the things as the zoo learns more about our animals mm-hmm. we have to change too to meet oh. their needs right we have to change our buildings and make better habitats for them mm. And so we can't always move our animals away. So when, our, when we are doing construction on our Regenstein African journey, our giraffes had to stay here. And so we actually collected samples from them before the construction started to get what their normal levels of stress are. You know what stress is? Yeah, it's like anxiety. Yeah, but it's not always a bad thing, right? Right. Like if you're a little stressed about a test, sometimes that can give you the edge to get over it, right? Or for an animal, if they didn't know something was stressful, they may not try to escape a predator. So stress is not a bad thing unless it happens over a long period of time. For us, it might be someone being bullied and they're afraid to go to school every day. So we don't want our animals to be like that. So we actually study their stress levels. And we usually do it before things happen or change. And during, so if the construction we want to collect before the construction, so we can figure out what their normal levels of stress are. Because everybody has their own levels of stress, right? 
And yeah. so, you know, it just their personality. And so then we'll study during the construction and then after, see how things have changed. I see. And so if we think there's problems, usually they're going to notice the behavior changes. And what we do is we give them lots of enrichment. So lots of things to do. So whether it's food or games to play, working with our staff, we do all these things to keep them happy. And so I'm just one of the pieces that tells them that things are not going well for the animal. Ah. So my job is never boring because we're learning all the time, like learning about octopuses. Who, who knew I would learn about octopuses? I mean, it is really cool. It is neat. And anybody can be a Dr. Poop. That's what I think is really cool. You know, you've got to do school and stuff. But, you know, if you love nature and you want to conserve it and help manage it better, you, know, you can be a Dr. Poop. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Music on this episode was composed by Jeff Dan and Teresa Brooks. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off. <laughs>